1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 17. You'll also see that uh, passage on the screen here in a moment. Uh, That's going to be our main passage, but we're going to be looking at quite a number of passages this morning. If you're here for the first time, uh, I will assure you that I don't speak on money and those kinds of things very often, uh, but I do occasionally. Today is Finance Sunday. You will find as you go into the foyer after the service, there are various materials and opportunities for you to be involved here at Garden Chapel, I believe a Sunday school class and various other things. We also have the Stewardship Committee and uh, their uh, troop of actors. Actually, it's only Carl and Greg, and they're getting real embarrassed when I started introducing them. But they're actually going to do a skit near the end of the sermon. I've entitled the sermon this morning, Money Talks. And i got to tell you, you want to find out something about yourself? Look at your bank book. Get the receipts from what you've spent in the last month or two or three. If you want to find out something about your neighbor, go through their trash and find their receipts. No, don't do that. Please don't do that. No, seriously. Let's face it. Your priorities in life are reflected by where you spend your money. What you take pleasure in, you spend money on. What you believe is important in life, you will find that checks get written out in that direction. You see... Money is a very good slave, very lousy master. Unfortunately, we live in a world where we are encouraged to allow money to be our master. Ah, just put it on some credit card. Pay later. It's okay to be in debt and be a slave to someone else because the lender is ultimately a slave to the... I'm sorry, the borrower is a slave to the lender. It's always that way. You owe somebody else and they've got something hanging over your head. This morning, I like to look at this whole concept that money talks. We have all kinds of different things that we use money for. Every one of them speaks about who you are, what's important, and what your priorities are. Before I look at the passage that I ask you to turn to, I found a totally made-up but funny story about a little old lady. She went to Walmart. She went in. She got her uh, goods that she wanted. She came back outside, and when she went to her car, she saw four men in her car. She dropped her... She was scared. She thought she was getting robbed, so she dropped her, her packages opened her purse, pulled out a revolver, pointed at the guys and said, get out of my car. They didn't question it. They didn't argue with her. They just got out and ran. So she loads up. She didn't do anything about it. She loads her car up. She goes to put the key in the ignition. It wouldn't start. It wouldn't turn. It wouldn't fit. Then she realized that her car was four spaces down from there. So she took her stuff out of the car, put it in her car, drove herself to the police station to turn herself in. As she turned herself in, the sergeant at the desk just about laughed himself silly because he said, see down there at the other end of the counter were four men who still were looking a little shook up, who were reporting some little white-haired lady with a big gun had just told them to get lost. No charges were filed. The moral of the story is this is sometimes we think our money is ours, but in reality, it actually belongs to someone else. That's point number one this morning, but before we do that, let's look at 
the passage that I'm going to call your attention to. The word rich occurs several times in this passage. It simply means abundant, something above and beyond the normal. If you're an American, and I don't care what your financial situation is today, you are rich by world standards above and beyond anything the rest of the world can even imagine. Uh, if you don't believe that, talk to anybody that went to the orphanage in Guatemala. Talk to anybody that lives in almost any other country, and you would find out that uh, we are rich by any means, any stretch of anybody's imagination. And so uh, it is absolutely talking about us. We have abundance. We are abounding in the things that we have. This passage says, instruct those who are rich, us, in this present world, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. There are things that we should trust, and there are things that are like a broken reed that will come back to puncture us and wound us. Riches are one of those things. I mentioned before, great slave, but a horrible master. Something that we use and should, and we'll talk about using it wisely, but it should never be that that controls us. Now look at the contrast. But on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Notice, God is the one who abundantly supplies our needs. And notice, he's not saying good things, money is bad. That's absolutely not biblical. It says that God has given us everything to enjoy. But not only has he given us those things to enjoy, but he also said there are other instructions that go with those things that he has abundantly given to us, generously given to us. He says we are to be instructed to do good, to be abundant, rich, above and beyond in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Notice that doesn't talk about giving to the church. It says helping other people. And then it says in verse 19, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. That's talking about our lifestyle, our character. Because remember, money does talk. And how we use it, the way we use it, speaks of us, our reputation, our character is seen by how we use the resources that God has given us. This morning, I'm going to approach this on, under three different headings. Uh, this is a picture of my backyard, just in case anybody wanted to know. I have one of those. Oh, uh, no, I don't. What we have in our backyard are maple trees. Now, my wife's not here, but I used this earlier. My wife spends half the spring and half the fall raking up the helicopters so they don't grow in her flower beds, and then she rakes up the leaves, and she insists they got to be raked up all the time. I'd rake them up once and done with it, but no, not her. she got to do it. So I'd rather rake these things up. By the way, the little dog there, his name is Dollar, if you can't read that. Uh, but I don't have a money tree, neither do you. But all of us have resources. And the thing that I would like to look at here is the difference between ownership and possessions. You may have very many things in your life. You possess them, but you don't own them. For example, if you're a, a parent, you're going to understand that if you're a child, you're not going to like it. But you have been given 
food this morning, you have toys, you may have a telephone, you have a bedroom, and you say, uh, go to your room or eat your food or don't play your iPod so loud. Hold on, we use your, that's possession, except you go, you didn't pay a penny of that. I paid it all. I'm the source. That is the way it works with God and us. We're his children. He's created us, so even our own life is his, but he has allowed us to possess it. If you don't believe that that is a biblical concept, I'd like to spend the first part of the sermon looking at that concept. Notice in the passage that we had looked at earlier, it tells us that it is that God who richly supplies us. Now, he couldn't supply us if he was not the source. He himself is the source, and he chooses to give some of that to us, much like we give to our children. That is what God does for us. The passage that I'd like to, to just bring to your attention next is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26. It says there, For the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. Notice he says the earth itself was created by God. It's his. And everything that's in it, which includes you and everything you own or possess, it's all his. And that's not simply a New Testament concept. That is, if you look in your Bible, you'll find out that that's a quote from the Old Testament. I don't know where it was actually quoted from. You know why? Because that concept appears in the Old Testament numerous times. It could be any one of the following. For example, in Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. Psalm 50, which is famous for the tag that says, The cattle on a thousand hills. In that, in that psalm, God says, You know what? I'm not against your sacrifices and your offering. In fact, is, I've encouraged you. I have mandated by law that you need to do those things. But he said, you think you're doing me a favor by bringing sacrifices and offerings. That's not the purpose for bringing sacrifice and, I, uh, and offerings. He said, because I would take nothing out of your house. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, I know every bird of the mountain. And everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. See, God doesn't need us or our offerings or our sacrifices. He already owns it all. And it ends with this. For the world is mine and all that it contains. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 14 says that to our God belong heaven and highest heaven. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 ends this way. All things have been created by him and for him. It's his. He owns it. That's ownership. But you say, you didn't say anything about money. Well, then we have to go to Haggai. Now, I know that if you have, do if you have dollars in your wallet, I very seldom do because my wife, well, I don't, she doesn't give me any money. So, anyhow... But if I did, that dollar is really worth a couple cents of whatever the ink was to, pay, uh, to print it. 
But it should be backed up with some gold and silver. Unfortunately, it's not anymore. It's just backed up by, hopefully, the government is good for it. But in Haggai chapter 2, it says, Oh, the silver is mine. All the gold is mine. That which is used as our currency. God says, I don't care if it's the dollar that represents it or the gold itself. It's all mine. I own everything. That's point number one. But the companion point to that is God has given us possessions. He makes that very clear in various passages. The one that we've already looked at, who richly supplies all things for us to enjoy. See, he owns it, and as the owner, he has the right to give it to us to possess and to use. I'd like to turn your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Because there, Israel is being instructed as they're going to go into the promised land. And the promised land, we know it as Israel today, Palestine, it is God's land. He created it. He has the right to say who lives there. And he told them, as you're going in, I want you to do some things. And in verse two, uh, verse 1, I'm sorry, he says, Go in and, and here's the word, possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. God says, My land I'm choosing, and I want you to live on it. Go take possession of it. That's what God does. He owns it, but he has the right to say how it's to be used. And he does. And not only just the land, but if you continue on in that passage, verse 4 says, Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell. God says, I created you. I created all the things your clothing is made out of. And for 40 years they went around in circles and their clothing didn't wear out. Don't some of you moms wish that they made that kind of clothing today for your kids? You know, that didn't wear out. And some of you that got a little age on you, don't you wish that your ankles, your feet didn't swell? I mean, but these are God's things. And he says, they're mine, but I give them to you. Notice the possession, your clothing. Possess the land. He said, but when you're there, verse 11, beware lest you forget the Lord your God and don't keep his commandments, his ordinances, his statutes as I'm commanding you today. Because, why? Lest when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good homes and live in them, and your herds and flocks multiply and your gold and silver multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God. And he goes on to say, who brought you out of the land of slavery from Egypt and all of those types of things. It gave you water, his water, out of a rock where it should have never come from. The owner has allowed us to use and possess some of the things that he has made. But verse 17 is the one that I really want you to concentrate on. It says there, otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. Verse 18, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. Whoa. They say that if you have your health, you have everything. That is not true. But I've got to tell you, that's a nice statement. Because if you're unable to do a job, you still, you still have needs. 
God says, I'm the one, above and beyond a job, above and beyond uh, resources of whatever sort, I am the one that gives you the power to possess the wealth. Whatever you do, don't get it in your head that you've made it yourself. God owns it. Point number one. The money tree is his, not yours. It's his backyard, not my backyard. But he has the right, and he does, is pleased, I'm sorry, to give us possession of some of his things. That leaves us to the next, or leads us to the next point. The next point is that we are to work for God using the money that he has given us. And I realized after I made this slide, the bottom there says stewardship, spending, and saving. We have become his trustees, his stewards. You may or may not understand what stewardship is. Uh, I get a little irritated because stewardship is usually only ever talked about in church when it deals with money. So here I am. I'm doing it anyway, but I'm going to let you know. Stewardship is the right, good, and balanced use of every part of your life, not just your resources that are monetary or material. It's all of everything that God has given. But a steward, biblically, is someone who could have been a slave. But he is given the privilege of managing the household of the master. Now remember, everything that he is managing is the master's. He owns none of it. His responsibility is to look out for the bottom line and the interests of the master. And so he takes what is the master's and uses it wisely for the benefit and the profit of the one who gave him the job. That's what a steward is. God has entrusted many things, including material things and money, to us. He expects us to use them wisely. A lot of times we think this is where offerings come in and that type of thing. It can. It's one part of that. I think offerings and those types of things go with my last point, which is an act of faith, an act of worship. But it also fits here. But as we saw from 1 Timothy chapter 6, we are to use those resources God has given us to be generous to other people, to help other people, to be that people zealous for good works. The benefit, the profit of other people. The moment we make our focus money, we become a selfish person. That makes us an unloving person. That is not what God has asked us to do. That shows our character. It's reflected. Remember, money talks. That's what happens. And so if we use our money for just us, it shows we're selfish. Unloving. But he says, no, I want you to be loving. I want you to be others-centered. And we need to use it. Now, I put together several things here uh, under this passage uh, that may be helpful. I call them be careful. But before I do that, one little thing from Luke chapter 16. He said, make friends for yourself by the means of mammon of unrighteous money. And when it fails, they may receive you into internal, eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in very little thing will be faithful in much also. He who is unrighteous in a little thing is unrighteous in much also. Verse 11, if therefore you have been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust you to the true riches to you? 
And if you've been faithful in the use of what is another's, that's a steward, who will give you much more which is your own. No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I started the sermon by saying, money is a good servant, a good slave, but it's a very, very poor, demanding taskmaster. We need to be careful. It's a cruel master when we allow it to control our lives. In Luke chapter 14, it says, and it's dealing with discipleship there. And it says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's what it says in Luke 14, uh, 27. But it ends with this. So therefore, no one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. If you are acting like you own yourself and your resources, you're not a disciple. Not the way God looks at it. Not the way Christ taught it. Is A disciple is one who does everything for the master. Follows the master. Learns from him. He's the one that loved us and gave everything. His life. That's what Will and, and all of you were singing about on those songs about Christ's love and his blood. Over and over again. He loved us and he gave. That's what he wants us to know. Now let's look at these be carefuls. The first one is, be careful of your attitude toward money. Don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Some of you have been there and you thought you had it made. And in a couple of weeks' time, your business went poof and it's gone. You thought you had it made because you had the best job in the world and the greatest benefits. And then all of a sudden, the business was no more. You had no job. I don't care what area it is. You thought your house was going to be there forever and it burned down or they repossessed it or whatever. I don't know what it is. You thought you could take on the world and then your health went. We need to be really careful of what we fix our certainty upon. And if we fix it on the things of this world, we will land up having a very poor outcome. We need to understand. Use them, yes. But our attitude toward the material things of this world needs to be in check. We need to have a right attitude toward money and realize that it is not the final end. God himself is the one that we look to. The second thing, we need to be careful in our use of our money. I already mentioned this a couple of times, but I'm going to do it again. It says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, generous. Abundant in good works. Be generous and ready to share. We are to use our money for the good, the benefit, and the profit of other people. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 uses that word stewardship. But in this case, it's not talking about money. But I want to use the principle. Because there in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it reads this way. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul was a preacher. And he said, we are the ones that are telling you things that you have never known before. That's what a mystery is um, biblically. But verse 2 says, in this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. He who's faithful in a little will be faithful in a lot. If you have a little and uh, 
you use it wisely, God may give you more. That's, that's a biblical principle. But we need to use it in a good, balanced way for the profit of the master. Not to pat our own backs, not to make us look good, and not so we can have lots of things. Nothing wrong with having things. Nothing wrong with having recognition. None of those things are wrong. It's the view that's wrong. When the focus is inward and on me, it's wrong. When it's on the material things, it's wrong. In Proverbs chapter 6, it tells us that we're not to become a surety for our neighbor. You may not know what that means. It simply means don't sign as a uh, co-whatever for your neighbor because you have put yourself as responsible for them when you have no control of what they do with their business, their loan, their car, their whatever you've signed for. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to vouch for somebody else. On occasion, we do that. I would warn you, if you do that, you'd better be willing, without a bad, grudging, or hateful attitude, to lose what you vouched for. Because otherwise, you're going to be mad at that person probably for the rest of your life, and you'll lose a good relationship or a family member, uh, don't do it. God is very clear. Be careful how you sign and what you agree with with someone else. We are also to use what we have to the best of our ability. In Matthew chapter 25, it gives us a parable. A man brings his slaves in, and he gives the first one five talents, whatever they happen to be. could be in the actual talents of money. Second one comes in, he gives them two. Third one comes in, and slave number three gets one talent. He goes away, and now he calls them back. And the first one comes in, and slave number one says, you gave me five, here's ten. I'm giving you back what you gave me, plus I've doubled your profit. And he's very happy. He says, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, that was five. Now, the guy comes in with two. He says that scenario is exactly the same. So, you gave me two. Here's four. He tells him the exact same thing. There was less, but what he had, he used. And he says the same thing about him and under the joy of your master. Slave number three comes in. He says, I knew you were a hard man. I knew that you expect a harvest where you didn't sow. And so I took your talent and I buried it. Now, you would think he'd say, oh, well, you know, you were conservative on that. You didn't, you didn't waste it. You know, you kept it. That's not his reaction to it. See, the real point of this parable is... Do I use what God has given me to the best of my ability? This guy didn't. He just lived in fear. He didn't live in any kind of faith whatsoever. He didn't use it. He didn't use the ability he had. He only had a small amount compared to slave number one. About half of what slave number two had. But he didn't use it. He buried it. And so you would think, well, he'd kind of slap his fingers. But I'll tell you what. That is not what he says. He said, you wicked, lazy slave. That's what he calls them. I've got to tell you, that really cuts. He said, you, verse 27, you ought to at least put the money in the bank. And upon my arrival, you would have received the money back with interest. Now, nowadays, that'd be about a half a percent. But nonetheless, he would have used it in some productive way to the best of his ability. 
God expects you. If He's given you something, He expects you to use it for His glory. We need to be careful about budgeting our money. And I'm going to kick it in high gear here because I'm running out of time. But we need to understand that God is one who tells us to plan ahead. A budget is always something. A plan is always something that's done ahead of time. Otherwise, you're flying by the seat of your pants. That's not a plan. That's getting through. But God wants us to look ahead. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs directs his steps. It's not meaning my plans override what God wants me to do. But I'm working in conjunction with God. In fact, it is in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15. It says, the naive, the gullible, believes everything. But the prudent man considers his steps. See, if we just have a naive, gullible mindset, oh, God will take care of me. And don't do what he's asked us to do. God will take care of you. But that's not the whole equation. The rest of it is he expects us to use it wisely. We already saw that. He expects us to make plans. That calls for a budget. That calls for knowing what my income is and what my outgo is and adjusting in accordance. We need to do that. I don't care if it's you personally or the church. It doesn't matter. We need to do those things. The Bible is also uh, clear that we need to be careful to save. In Proverbs chapter 6, it says... If you folks don't understand this, go to one of those small little nasty insects that no wife likes in her kitchen. My wife doesn't anyway. And uh, they're in your kitchen because, well, they found a morsel or you left something out. And uh, they are preparing for a time when you finally clean the kitchen and there is no more food. See, he says, go to the ant. Go to the ant who prepares in the summer, gathers in the harvest. This is different than living paycheck to paycheck. It is taking advantage and using what God has given us in a very good way, a good stewardship, and and making um, our money our servant instead of allowing it to control our lives. And that's what happens when you don't control it. It will control you. And we need to make sure that we are careful not to unnecessarily borrow money. I already mentioned in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, it says that the borrower becomes the lender's slave. The rich rules over the poor. When we borrow money, and some of you know what I'm talking about. 25 years ago, you borrowed money and said, I can pay this. And it's been a noose around your neck. And you got five more years to go on your mortgage. Yeah, make sure when you borrow money that it's for a very good purpose or don't borrow it at all. In fact, is it's better to save ahead in most cases. And then, as I already mentioned, be careful to use your money to help others. Why? I already mentioned that several times, but it is this. The outcome is you're storing up for yourselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that you may take a hold of that which is life indeed. That's something more than material things. That's a whole new view of life. That there are things more important. Character, attitude, others are more important and putting God first. The last point this morning, and the players should be assembling up here at this point, uh, is that we are to use our money to worship God. Now, I'm running out of time, but I will finish this point after their skit. But uh, we need to understand the principle biblically is this, 
that we are to bring the first, the choice, the finest, and the first to God. Exodus chapter 23, verse 19 says this, You shall bring the choice first fruits into, of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. That is not an isolated principle. It's found over and over again. The best and the first belong to him. Otherwise, we have a backwards view of the resources God has given us. Just a minute. Uh, come on in. Hi, Carl. Good morning. Thanks for taking the time to spend with me here. Uh, it was a good sermon on uh, giving last Sunday. Well, thanks, Carl, but I uh, detect a little bit of hesitation in your voice. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I know Malachi 3 talks about tithings and offerings, and I know it says to test the Lord in this, but and I really want to do it, but I just can't find, you know, logically where I'm going to be able to make ends meet if I do this. Well, Carl, you just quoted God's word where he says, test me, and all your needs we met, and in Luke 12, 30, and 31, we're told that our Father already knows what our needs are, and if we seek his kingdom, all our needs will be met. Yeah, but what if I fail? I could end up with a lot of debt if things don't pan out. Well, well let's try this. If you stick to your budget, and you pay your 10% giving, at the end of the month, if you have any shortages, I'll take care of it for you. Really? You do that for me? Well, no, not really. But, <laughs> but let, let's take a look at your trust in God. You accepted Christ, and you're now you're his child. So are you willing to trust him with your salvation and your eternal life? Well, yeah. Okay. In Proverbs 3, 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. You know, Carl, sometimes we just need to trust God. Yes. So, Carl, are you ready to trust God with your money just as you have trusted him with your salvation? I said the last point was an act of faith, and it absolutely is. Worship is always an act of faith. We are expressing back to God what he has done and what we, how we see him. We're doing all those things. But so many times, we will put our eternal destiny on Jesus Christ, knowing that his, the price he paid for our sin was the only price. We totally trust that. We're settled on that. And yet, at the same time, when he says, well, you can worship us, worship me by giving the first and the best, we go, but you know what? In that case, I can't trust you. I'll give you what's left over. That's not an act of faith. Just the opposite. So if we can trust him with eternal things, we should be able to trust him with the things of this world. As I already mentioned, that the Bible tells us that we are to put him first. The New Testament principle is slightly different than Malachi, but we'll look at it. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and I am not going to take the time to turn there, but I'll give you the outline and you can go back and read it. It makes it clear that all of the people of the congregation of the Church of Corinth were to participate in what was going on. Regardless of income. This didn't say the rich or those that have more than everybody else. It said 
all of you, each one of you, is to participate in the offering that they were taking. The second thing, it was to be planned and systematic, regularly giving. And that could be weekly, it could be monthly, however it works out in your budget and how you decide to do it. The point is this. It's not, oh, there's, there's a project, let's get desperate and we'll give something and now I'm okay for the next year and don't have to think about it again. That's not what God is asking of us. That's not what the Apostle Paul is instructing. We are to give on a regular basis. We are also to build an account. In this case, it almost sounds like in this passage that you're building an account at home and then at the appropriate time. So if you give once a month, you're keeping the you know, money from the paychecks and giving it once. Or it could be at the church. I'm not sure. I think both of them fit. But all I know is this. Like we are not to live by the seat of our pants with our budget, with our finances at home, neither is the church. We need to make sure that we prepare ahead of time. Third, a fourth thing is that it is proportionate giving. A tithe is always 10%. That's what it is. But that's not the New Testament principle. The New Testament principle is proportionate giving. We give in accord with our income. Some people, if you gave 10%, God has blessed you so much that you're still robbing God, as, as it says in Malachi chapter 3. He said, they said, how are we robbing God? He says, in your tithes and offerings. Never been tithes alone. He said tithes and offerings. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, they still had offerings and sacrifices and temple taxes and everything else to put up on top of that yet. But the New Testament says, as God has prospered you. That's King James. New American Standard says, as you has prospered. NIV says, in accordance with your income. All of those are legitimate explanations of what it says in Greek. Because in Greek, you could either translate it as God has prospered you, or you could translate it as you have prospered. But if you listen to the rest of the sermon, you know there's not a contradiction. God set it up that way. Because you can't prosper unless God gave it to you. That's the only way it is. So both of them are legitimate. So I guess the last one there, in accordance with your income, probably is the clearest of all of them. If God has blessed you, you give a greater portion. Proportionate giving. So some people would be robbing God if they only gave 10%. Some people would probably be robbing the electric company if they gave 10%. God expects us, as we have seen with our material possessions across the board, there he is. He's given us those things as a possession, and now he wants us to be good stewards, and he wants us to live in faith and give as an act of worship. That's what he wants us to do. One last point this morning, and that is uh, the church and you, all of us, are to be wise, and we are to use our money above board, keeping good records, just flying by the seat of your pants with your finances will always get you in trouble. I have counseled enough people to know that those that believe the, pay, the next check is okay yet pay lots of dollars. I've seen people pay $42 for a cup of coffee because they didn't keep good records because they're, what do you call that? I don't use one of the check card. You know, it bounced. And that was 40 bucks plus the cup of coffee. That's very expensive Java. Don't do it. The church shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do it. And fact is, in the church, every place we see, money is never 
ever handled by one person alone. Our ushers are never by themselves with the money. Our financial secretary, Carl is one of them, uh, never counts the money by himself. There's always at least two or three of them. Dick Fox cannot write out, he's our church treasurer, he cannot write out one single check without at least another servant board member signing that check. We need to make sure that we use our money properly, that everything is carried out above board. So husbands, don't think I'll hide the money and the finances from my wife. Wives, if you do the finances, please don't let your husband in the dark. Please teach your children how to do a budget, how to use their money wisely. Money does talk. It says a lot about us. Individually, as families, and as a church. If you check our budget at church, you will see how money talks here. Check your budget at home. See how it works at home. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. Dear Heavenly